0: I'll tell you a story. Well, I'll tell you a story, first of all. I'll just tell you a story, and then we'll move to preaching, hopefully. Uh, there's this guy named Arnold Palmer. It's not just a drink. It's a guy. Um, he's Anybody know what Arnold Palmer's famous for? Golf. Okay. You know you know that, Casey? All right, good. Good. All right. Um, and years ago, he was uh, asked to do an exhibition match in Saudi Arabia. So this wasn't one of the big tournaments, but some Saudi prince flew him in, and just wanted to see him play and, and had the means to get him there and host this thing. And the Saudi prince was so impressed with Arnold Palmer that he said, I wanna give you a gift, I wanna thank you. And, and Arnold Palmer said, no, look, it was just a pleasure to be here. You wine me, you dine me, you took good care of me. And, but in that culture particularly, it was almost offensive not to receive a gift. And, um, and so when the Saudi prince asked him what he wanted, he said, well, how about a golf club? You know, To commemorate my being here, maybe you could get me a special club. And not long after, he received a golf club, not in the kind of club you swing, but the title to a 400-acre golf club in Pennsylvania, like a golf resort, was given as a gift. And what's great about that story is, you know, Arnold Palmer would have settled for a club to swing, but there was so much more this Saudi prince wanted to give him. And today, we're just going to continue this conversation on the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit, but what we want to talk about is this this idea of more, that we want to be a people that are, and we, we see this modeled in Pete and Patty, that you, know, you guys have been talking about this for years, you're still excited, and you're still excited to see what's going to happen next Friday night, what, what are the stories you're going to hear from the road as your team's traveling, there's always more. And we want to be that kind of people, that kind of community, an expectant community. And we're going to um, talk today about this invitation to more. I I think uh, there's a friend of mine that wrote a song that begins with the line, there must be more than this. And I think it's important today we tap into really what's a little bit of a holy discontent. I have the chance to take pastors normally, not this year, um, but in normal years, to London several times a year. And it's really cool, because in my the role I play with this ministry, Alpha, we gather pastors, usually of larger churches, in London. And London's a place, if you know, that is pretty post-Christian, very post-Christian. And what that means is not, like, where do you go to church, but why would you go to church? But what's happening in the church is exciting, because in the midst of those challenges, there is this this holy discontent that's birth new life, prayer, worship, Uh, communities just beginning to to spring up in exciting ways. And when I take pastors from our country over there, first of all, I say we're getting a glimpse of the future here because our our country is moving towards a post-Christian reality. But also we're getting a glimpse of more. And I always ask them, where do you long for more? Not just for your community, not just for your city, but for yourself. Where are you longing for more? And I want to ask that same question To you today, Canopy, where, how are you longing for more? I think God wants to stir, we have a lot of discontent in our world (laughs) and in our lives. I mean, in some ways, the world runs off discontent. The, The idea that we need more of something, but I'm not talking about that more. I'm talking about a more that was intended to be given through the gift of the Spirit. And when we read the story of God, Mike, a few weeks ago, Mike Rigdon, who's one of our pastors, did a great foundational message just on the Spirit through the Bible, not just in Acts, but in Eden. And the Spirit leading God's people through pillar of fire and pillar of cloud out of Egypt into the promised land, the Spirit that would fill the tabernacle and then the temple. But then Jesus does hit the scene and is not only doing amazing things as the perfectly Spirit-filled, Spirit-led person, and we need to know that, that yes, Jesus was God, yes, Jesus, Jesus was human, but one of the things he was doing was showcasing this is what it's like to be filled and led by the Spirit in a perfect way, in, in a way really only he could fully do, but he's giving us a glimpse of what it looks like to be filled for purpose. But the early pioneers of the church that he hands off to would never have conceived of a church that's not filled and led by the Spirit of God. That would never have been any part of the equation. There would never have been a sense of, okay, well, as Jesus does the handoff, now we got this in our own strength, strategy, websites, sermons, book deals, buildings. No, there was always just an understanding of of we need more than we could ever bring on our best day. In fact, the church was intentionally designed to fail unless the Spirit filled it, unless God showed up. And not just the church, but our lives. And that's what I want to talk about today is, you know, we are the church, but this plays out in our lives, in our day-to-day. And as we read both the words of Jesus where he says, it's good that I go, John 16. So this advocate, Josh talked about this last week, this paraclete, this helper, this friend, there's lots of translations of that. But someone is coming that for some reason is even better <laughs> to be with us in our day-to-day, not just to fill worship services, but to fill our lives, our questions, our crossroads. It's good that I go, that he comes. And then Paul goes on with other writers to talk about just this this idea that this should be a normal part of our life, not just to be filled once, but to be filled again and again. A familiar verse, Ephesians 5.18 says, "'Don't be drunk with wine.'" But be filled with the Spirit. And Paul is choosing that metaphor of of literally being filled with something that controls you. And he's saying, don't be controlled by that. Be, Be filled with someone who can control you. But what's interesting, and some of you know this, is when he says be filled, and I am no Greek expert. That's Josh's game and some of you. But I do know this. The Greek understanding of be filled isn't be filled once. It's keep being filled. It's something called the the present imperative, I think is what they call it. But it means to read Paul saying, don't be filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Much like a lot of us get filled with wine over and over again, you know, sometimes in okay ways, sometimes in not okay ways. He's assuming that we're being filled over and over and over again with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I have a metaphor right now in my pocket. I feel like a magician. I'm going to pull out something cool here. Ta-da! It's a balloon. And I love this metaphor. This is so simple, it's not perfect. But if, if somebody said, well, what's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Because when you say yes to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, there is a filling that begins. There's a new starting line. He is the seal of our adoption. Josh talked about that last week, but there's still more. And so if I were to fill this balloon with air, which I'll attempt to do right now, There we go. Can I ask you a question? Is this balloon full of air? But could there be more air? Let's find out. Is it filled with air? Could there be more air? You get the idea, right? So on one hand, there's room for more. There's still room for more. But let me ask you this. If I tied this off and left it somewhere for three days, what would happen? Do you guys know? it would leak. Do you know that? I mean, it doesn't look like there are holes in it, but there are these microscopic holes in this balloon. And no matter how tight I tied it, it still has the capacity to leak. And I don't know if you guys know the name D.L. Moody. He's like a famous evangelist from, I think, the 19th century, one of the most legendary men of God of his day. He said, why do I need to be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again? Because I leak. He said, I leak. <laughs> I leak the spirit. So not only is there capacity for more, but I'm leaking just in the course of my normal human life. And so we need, the kind of, we need to be the kind of people that aren't just looking for a one-time filling. That's something, to be honest with you, I always wanted and never really experienced. I just wanted to be wrecked, lightning bolts, clouds parting. Some of you have had experiences like that or an experience like that. I've never had that experience but I know that I've been in moments, that more moments than I can remember, where God has filled me with His Spirit because I somehow found a posture that allowed for me to be filled. And that's what I want to talk about today, is when we, when we talk about what does life look like in the Spirit, beyond just that foundational testifying to our adoption, that's our starting line, what does it look like to just keep being filled? And I'm just going to really quick suggest three ways that we can position ourselves to be filled by the spirit and the first one and these all start with the letter r because i'm one of those guys that i I used to hate alliteration and then i realized the older i get the less i remember and this helps me remember so for all the old people in the crowd this is for you and the first are three r's the first one is resolve that's kind of a fancy word r resolve how do we be filled with the spirit in ongoing ways resolve And what does that mean? Well, I I have a friend, a really smart friend named Mark Sayers, who's a brilliant author, and he writes this one of his books. He says, all corporate renewals begin with personal renewals. We talk about corporate renewal. If you've been around the church for a while, and particularly in Orange County, there's been talk for a long time about renewals happening, revivals happening. That may be true, but what Mark Sayers is saying, it begins with people. Not just events or churches or worship experiences. Corporate renewals begin with personal renewals. Personal renewals occur when women and men of God come to the end of themselves. Their discontent, there's that word, to solidify, I'm sorry, their discontent begins to solidify into a desire to live in a new way. So there's this discontent that becomes a resolve to say, there, again, there must be more. And I'm seeing discontentment grow in the church right now. I'm seeing that in men and women who are leading it. There must be more than we can bring on our best day, best teaching, best budget, all that. But not just for churches, for our lives. And I just think it sounds so simple, but there has to be a line when it comes to being filled and led by the Spirit where we just say, I'm going to resolve to not settle for what can be explained by me. I'm going to resolve to just let go of all the things I want to control about my life to be positioned to be controlled to be led by a power source that's that's not my own you know John wimber, who uh, is kind of a hero I never met John wimber, but he started this this church called The Vineyard that became a national movement, and just so many of his thoughts and and convictions I resonate with but He said that one of the defining times, maybe the defining moment of his ministry, and again, this is a church that launched thousands of churches across the world. It's a church up in Anaheim. That's where it was launched from. But one of the defining moments of his ministry was when he heard God say to him, John, I've seen your ministry. Now let me show you my ministry. Do you hear that? And John was a gifted teacher, musician. He he was a strategist. He was a compelling guy. But there was a sense of resolving to, I don't want to settle for what can be explained by me. And I I talk a lot about church because I'm a church leader and I work with leaders. But this is true of business. This is true of parenting. This is true of addiction. This is true of waking up saying, I can't save myself. That's the resolve. I need more. The resolve, I need more than I can find or lead myself to. And I think God is saying today to some of you, even as I say Wimber's line about himself, I think God would be excited to show you what he can do. That same reality, I've seen what you can do, Matt. I've seen what you can do, Eileen. I've seen what you can do, Mike. And it's good, in many cases, really good. But you have no idea what I can do. And that begins with resolve. And I just wanted to pause and ask, As I share this, where is there a place of holy discontent? Not just worldly discontent, holy discontent in you right now. Just kind of hold on to that. Often we want to push that down because we don't know what to do with it, but instead just let it bubble up. Where's that place of there must be more for my future, for this relationship, for my finances? I I don't know what it is. There must be more. That's a good resolve to, to build on. So resolve leads us, that resolve of the there must be more leads us to the second R, and that's to receive, to receive, resolve, receive. And the whole idea of receiving is we can't give ourselves something that we don't have to give. We need to receive it from outside of ourselves. In a very, very simple way, it's like this thing right here. This thing is capable of a lot of things, crazy things scary things But but I mean, more and more, more and more apps, more and more functions, more and more memory, more and more. But this thing is useless without a power source, right? Trust me, we have a computer at home that just won't turn on and it can, it has a lot of things on it. There's a lot of things it's capable of. It's useless if it can't be turned on. And so we're saying we need to receive something that we can't empower ourselves to. And the call to receive really begins with the call to wait. To receive something means I'm willing to wait. And waiting is humbling. I was reading to the team as we were praying over the gathering today. This is something I just read this morning. Um, and this is, this is really encouraging. So this is a book called The Sober Intoxication of the Spirit. is a great title? And the guy that uh, wrote it, his name is Renero Cantalamesa. That's a cool name. Anybody know who Renero Cantal is? This is like gold stars in heaven. Well, you know. Okay, do you know who he is? What's it? What role does he play? He is the preacher to the pope. Do you know that? The, do you know the pope? And not just this pope, I think he's been, at least for two popes, the pastor to the pope. And so this guy literally preaches like to the pope as if he's in a church service, but just the pope. And he's the pastor to the pope, the confidant of the pope. And he's an incredible man. I've met him, incredible man. But he wrote this book on the Holy Spirit, and he says this. He says, when it comes to receiving, if I can find it, it says, what we can do then to experience our own Pentecost or our own filling of the Spirit. No, I'm sorry. What, he's asking the question, what can we do then to experience our own Pentecost if we can't do anything positive? He's saying, what can we do if we can't power ourselves? We can make ourselves empty to allow the Holy Spirit to come. Making ourselves empty means having an attitude of profound, sincere humility before God. And I think that, you know, we look back on what happened in Luke and Acts and just the, the story of the early church. And, and, you know, it's incredible, just the, the, the multiplication, the impact. I mean, a, a small movement changed the world, but their most important instructions had to do with waiting. Humble, probably anxious and expectant waiting. Luke 24 says this. It's Jesus' words. This is the message version. It says, you're the witnesses. So you guys are going to take this story forward. Tag your it. But he says, what comes next is very important. Jesus talking to the disciples before he's going to ascend. He says, what comes next, I am sending what my father promised you. That's the Holy Spirit. So stay here in the city until he arrives, until you're equipped with power from on high. So their most important instruction was to wait. Don't try to do this in your own power. You've got to wait till the Spirit comes. You have to pause before you go. And waiting's hard. I, you, some of you know, Lisa and I both had a unique experience separately of doing three weeks of solitude. And not together, that wouldn't be solitude. I did it. And then she did it later because it was so powerful. But so much of what was powerful was just sitting around humbly waiting for something to happen and being bored to death in it at times. I mean, it was a really pretty place, but after a while, even pretty gets boring. But I'll tell you, there was a power and an intimacy I received, not overnight, not in my agenda, not in the ways I'd even hoped for, different and better, that just came through creating space to wait. Many of us know Sheridan McDaniel. You guys know Pastor Sheridan, who's part of Place for Worship. We had a chance to be with them last week, and we'll be with them every month. I had breakfast with Sheridan this week, and Sheridan is a seasoned pastor of pastors. You guys get that, right? I mean, not only is he leading this community, he leads a lot of leaders, but he's learning for the first time about solitude, and he was telling me he had been in Atlanta, come home, and the big takeaway was at this retreat— I need to create more space in my life to receive from God. And God can't fill space that isn't there. So I want to encourage you, this idea of receiving is tied to to making sure that we're creating space for, for God, for the Holy Spirit to fill, to lead, to empower. And that can be three weeks of solitude. That won't be for most of you. That could be, as Sheridan's trying to do, a couple hours of solitude. But honestly, this is where even those touch points, even those mornings, I mean, would we agree our mornings are different, our days are different when we take time to even do 10 minutes, which sounds token, but it's something that allows us to receive something to start our day. For some reason, I was thinking, um, my kids have all done this thing out in our front yard called the passing tree. This is when like, flag football was the thing at Mariner's Christian School. And it started with my son, Caden, who's our oldest, and he was trying to figure out how to be a receiver, and so we'd run this, you guys know what a passing tree is? Like, you run these patterns. So it's like you're running, like, 10 patterns, and they'd memorize what the passing tree is, but then Tegan wanted in, then Britton wanted in. Britton, you've run the passing tree, haven't you? Yeah? And then even Talia wanted in. So we have our kids, like, running routes on on the street in front of our house. But it made me realize, through that repetition, they knew where to be and when to receive the ball. But it was only through repetition of of just running that route again, being ready, hands open, that they would be where the ball was going. And they all got to be pretty good at catching. And a lot of us want to catch without doing the work of positioning ourselves to receive. So we start with resolve, saying there must be more than what I can lead myself to. We move to receiving, saying, well, I want to be the kind of person that humbly learns to create space and wait." Learns to be ready to catch whatever God, whatever the Holy Spirit has to give. But then finally, it's really, uh, the last R is, is I think, probably the most important one, and it's risk. Resolve, receive, risk. The same guy, John Wimber, that I quoted before, has a famous line where he says, How do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. That's how you spell faith. You have to risk. And, and faith, sometimes we think about, you know, faith going out and reaching Costa Mesa or reaching the world. Sometimes faith is just receiving for ourselves. Some of you, even I, I've been this person, just feel like, have you ever felt like the only person you feel like God can't speak to in a gathering? <laughs> it's like you believe it for everybody else. You don't believe it for yourself. And one of the biggest risks is saying, I'm going to come again. And w- whether I receive or not, I'm going to step out and position myself to try. Risk always requires us getting out of our comfort zone, getting out of even spiritual routines that have become just the predictable ruts. It requires us kind of exploring new ground. I have a good friend um, who uh, is a really famous Jesus follower who had kind of grown up in a certain way of experiencing church and doing church, and him going outside of those familiar places and and people he'd normally hang out with radically changed his life, particularly in relation to the Holy Spirit. And he found himself in places he wasn't entirely comfortable with. He didn't even entirely agree with some of the stuff happening as a pastor, but there was something, an expectancy he experienced there that just totally changed the way he understood his relationship with God. And he never would have experienced that unless he kind of stepped beyond some of these dividing lines or these fences, that, that he would now admit that, you know, those, those weren't even things necessarily that were from God. They were more from his tradition, his upbringing. So from a pastoral perspective, but just from a life perspective, is going, where can I risk going to places where God is moving uniquely, maybe differently than I've known before? Getting out of that comfort zone seems to put us in a position to receive. You guys have heard me quote this for dozens of times if you've been part of Canopy, but it's probably my favorite quote outside scripture. It's, it's Oswald Chambers says, our complete weakness and dependence is always the occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest his power. And so it's like the places where we feel weak, dependent, that's probably where God is most likely to show up. And this is a time where we're seeing this happen in the church in encouraging ways. You guys know COVID was hard in a lot of directions, but certainly for churches. As churches are kind of navigating, gosh, how do we do what was always so normal and easy? I mean, how do we even gather? Is it online? Is it together? There's so many questions being asked. But I think what I'm seeing, and I, I haven't talked much to Pete and Patty about this, but imagine what you guys are seeing is there's an opportunity to not just gravitate back towards what we had, but to risk something different for the future. And that's not just the opportunity for the church— that's the opportunity for the people who are the church for us coming out of COVID to go, are there ways to not just default to life as it used to be or the closest thing to it, but are there ways God's inviting you to get out of your comfort zone risk? That's going to happen. And where's Kelly? Kelly's here, right? see? He? Oh, hi Kelly. She's waving in her cool Bronco. Um, Kelly and so Kristen Titoff, some of you guys know Dave and Kristen, they help lead lead Newport 1, our house church there. Kristen just told me like two weeks ago, she's like, I'm going to Tanzania. Is that where you guys are going? Tanzania? Yeah. Well, Kelly. And and Kristen um, just is recovering from cancer. She's had the craziest year, but she's alive. Like she's electric because she's kind of in that place where, like, what do I have to lose? But I have so much to gain if I just keep following where God's leading, but I just keep walking through doors that are open. And so Kelly, who has this incredible ministry there, invited her to go. And I just talked to Kristen, and she was telling me, and I'll just tell you there was a, there was a, a, a good scaredness as far as I don't know what's going to happen there, but there was an aliveness that I'm like, that's the kind of person that the Spirit can lead. That's the, and, and we want to be the kind of people that are, in this season, maybe more than any of our lifetimes, open to rebuilding differently, hoping to going to some of the places we weren't as comfortable, because likely that's going to allow us to be the kind of people that are most ready to receive what God has to give. And I love this line. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, this British guy named Simon Ponzibe, writes this, and I'll, I'll use this as we come in for a landing. He says, talking about the early church, he says, those early Christians had no degrees— from the best universities. They had no MBA management courses. They'd gone through no psychological Myers-Briggs compatibility profiles. They had no financial investment portfolios, but they had a revelation of God, the revelation of their inheritance in Christ and a Holy Spirit power from on high. With this, God took 120 people and shook the world. And guys, that's our story. That's our story, not just their story. That's the story. There's probably about 120 people here if we include the kids. And what if, as we continue this journey, we become the kind of people that can, first of all, just resolve to, there must be more. There must be more, not just for Canopy, but for my life, my marriage, my kids, my workplace, my neighborhood, my school. There must be more. Second of all, we say, okay, well, if there's more, how do we position ourselves to receive more? Am I creating space for God to fill? And thirdly, What's risk look like? What's it look like this summer? As we Summer will go by quick. I, know, I don't want to depress you, but it'll be like fall tomorrow. Will there be a highlight reel if we took this risk and that risk? Because I have a feeling, we know it's going to come from Kelly and Kristen, but for all of us, there's going to be stories of, as we risked, the Holy Spirit showed up. I love this line. This is a Mike Erie line, I think, um, for those of you who know Mike, that God doesn't steer parked cars. You heard that line? God doesn't steer parked cars and just assumes, man, we're moving, and then God wants to steer us. Some of us just are parked and like, God, do something. And he's like, well, get moving in these right directions, and I'm happy to steer, direct, empower you to more. So today, I want you to just take those things home, resolve, receive, risk,